0: Dear Father in Heaven, what an amazing time to be alive, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will be poured out here in this place. Here we are at the Mid-America Union ASI Convention in Kansas City. Lord, you know what is happening in this world. You know how much time we have left. We really don't know, but my sense is that time is fast running out and that Jesus is coming and the crisis is coming. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit will be here with us. Please uh, speak to our hearts. Help me to share your word. Help me to lift up Jesus and to say the things that you want me to say. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Again, my title is called The Rocks Are Crying Out and it is based on Luke chapter 19. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. You're familiar with the triumphal entry when Jesus mounted the donkey and rode down the slope of the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. Verse 37 says, then, as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with what kind of a voice? With a loud voice, right? Remember that, because I'm going to come back to that. I've underlined that in my Bible. A loud voice for all the mighty works which they had seen. And they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Again, this was what we call the triumphal entry. Jesus sitting on a donkey going into Jerusalem. The crowd was getting bigger by the minute. They were laying their clothes on the road so the donkey could walk on the clothes. They laid their clothes on the donkey so Jesus could sit on the clothes. Uh, Many of them had palm branches, as you can see from this picture, and they were waving them back and forth. The children were shouting. And as they got closer to Jerusalem, the crowd continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, I want to make a point here, and that is this that this was very unusual for Jesus to allow something like this to take place. He had been in public ministry for three and a half years. He had healed many who were sick. He told many stories. Uh, His ministry was generally on the quiet side. There were times when he would heal someone, and then he would tell him, shh, shh, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't make a big deal out of this. Because there were certain things that were going on and Jesus didn't want to get his ministry cut short by offending the Pharisees unnecessarily. And so his ministry was generally on the quiet side. There was on the quiet side. There was one time when a, when a multitude of people decided, "He's the Messiah and we're going to make him king." And when Jesus got wind of that, he quickly dispersed the crowd. And he told his disciples to get into a boat and to go to the other side of the lake. And they were not happy about that. They wanted him to be king right there. But it wasn't time. But when Jesus was going down into Jerusalem on the donkey, something was going on that was different. Uh, As uh, we've heard the phrase tonight, this was not business as usual. Why did he allow such a display? I looked in in the Desire of Ages, page 570 and 571, that talks about Jesus going down into Jerusalem, and here's a, a couple of interesting paragraphs. It says, spectators were constantly mingling with the throng and asking, who is this? What does all this commotion signify? They had all heard of Jesus. They knew that he had heretofore discouraged all effort to place him on the throne. And, that they, and they were greatly astonished to learn that this was he. They wondered, now listen to this, what could have wrought this change in him who had declared that his kingdom was not of this world? Why the change in his, uh, in his methods here it says, next paragraph says, Never before in his earthly life had Jesus permitted such a demonstration. Never before. He clearly foresaw the result. It would bring him to the cross. But it was his purpose to thus publicly present himself as the redeemer. He wanted this to be a public occasion he desired to call attention to the sacrifice that was to crown his mission to a fallen world so that's why there was a change in what he had previously done now it was time to go to go public now one of the reasons was because prophecy in fact uh, there were many prophecies that were now kicking in and were being fulfilled right in front of the people's eyes. Such as this one, Zechariah 9, verse 9. This is an Old Testament prophecy, hundreds of years before it happened. The prophet predicted, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just And having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now try to imagine this. You know, here's Jesus sitting on the donkey. And here's the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. And that prophecy that was written hundreds of years prior to that moment was now specifically, directly, uh, openly being fulfilled right in front of people's eyes. Isn't that right? And so Jesus realized he knew that after three and a half years of ministry, the final prophecies pointing forward to his final sufferings, to his death and to his resurrection, they were, they were happening. They were, they were there right then in front of him. And based on that based on this, the significance of the moment, Jesus decided that it was time to go public, to make a bigger splash than he had previously made before. Now, the next verse tells us that there were some who were in the crowd who didn't like this. The next verse says, verse 39, says that some of the Pharisees They called to him from the crowd, and they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Basically, they said, uh, Teacher, tell your disciples not to speak with such a loud voice. Tell them to shut up. Right? That's basically what's, uh, what's going on. Now, the reason why they said this was because the idea of Jesus being the Messiah and prophecy being fulfilled right in front of their eyes Was not something that the majority of the religious leaders in the Sanhedrin believed. They didn't, uh, they didn't go along with this, and it was definitely not politically correct to have such a big demonstration in front of the crowd. And so the Pharisees told Jesus, Tell your disciples to be quiet. To be quiet. It's not appropriate for you to be doing what you're doing. And what did Jesus say? If you look at verse 40, in verse 40, he answered and he said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, in other words, if the disciples and the crowd should be quiet. And not talk about what is happening right in front of our eyes. Jesus said that the stones would immediately do what? They would immediately cry out. Right now, as i as I've pondered this, it has really spoken to me, spoken to my heart, that when major Bible prophecies are being fulfilled right in front of people's eyes, it is time to speak out. Don't you agree? And if we don't speak out, then who's going to speak out? The rocks. That's right. The rocks are going to cry out. Now let's uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22 takes us down to the final times. We've just read about prophecies being fulfilled at the conclusion of the first coming of Jesus. Revelation chapter 22 ultimately points forward to the time of the second coming of Jesus. Verse 10, the angel said to John, who wrote this book, he said, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is what? The time is at hand. That's right. There is going to be a time when the the words of the prophecy of this book are going to be as directly fulfilled right in front of our eyes as the prophecy of Zechariah nine was fulfilled when Jesus mounted the donkey and rode into Jerusalem. Do you believe that? There, There's going to be a time when it's going to happen right in front of us. And when that time comes, we have a choice. Should we speak or should we be quiet? What do you think we should do? That's right. That's right. And if we don't speak, who's going to speak? The rocks are going to cry out. Right, now now I'm going to shift gears here on the screen and I'm going to show you some very interesting slides. How many of you saw this? This uh, article came out September 25. This is a CNN article that came out just a couple of weeks ago talking about Ben Carson and his religious faith. I'm just curious. How many of you saw this? Uh, Some of you. Some of you have. It's an amazing article. Now, as we all know, or at least most of us know, uh, Ben Carson is running for president of the United States of America right now. Uh, It's rather shocking that he is doing very well in the polls. Have you noticed that? Yes. Yes. He is a top contender to become the Republican candidate for president. Now, nobody really exactly knows the future. I'm not a prophet, but I'm watching all of this with great interest. Great interest. And as I think most of you know, what religion is Ben Carson uh, a part of? He is a, a, a what? He's a Seventh-day Adventist, right? You know, when you're in an airport and you hand out a track, or if somebody asks you, what church do you go to? You could say, oh, I go to the same church Ben Carson goes to. (laughs) You ever thought about that? (laughs) Yeah, he's a Seventh-day Adventist. Now, I don't know if you can see the highlight on this, on this article, but here at the very top, it says uh, story highlights. See that? And it says here, if I can read it, it's a little bit dark, Ben Carson I have to read this on my computer. Ben Carson's presidential bid is putting Seventh-day Adventists in the spotlight. Wow. That's what it says. I've had a lot of people ask me, what do you think about Ben Carson running for president? Um, and I, I, I pray for Ben. I certainly like him as a person. Uh, and to me, it's very significant that news media is zeroing in on his religious affiliation at such a time as this, at such a time as this. Seventh-day Adventists, according to CNN, are now in the spotlight. Now, when you read the article, which I've read very, very carefully, uh, there's a whole section there on political correctness, how Ben Carson is, is against political correctness. Uh, In other words, he speaks his mind. What he thinks, he says, whether it's politically correct or not. And a lot of people really appreciate that. They appreciate that about Donald Trump, and they appreciate that about Ben Carson. Whatever you think about uh, uh, Donald Trump, the fact is, people appreciate the fact that both of these men speak their minds, and that they're not, you know, diddly-daddling uh, are around and dancing on little on on uh, tinker toes because something that they might believe or say doesn't happen happen to be politically correct. They speak their mind. Now this is amazing. What I'm about to show you, if you haven't seen this article, this article on CNN, which is a major news network, has a whole section there quoting Ted Wilson as our general conference president. Let me see if I can read this up here. It says, in an October 2014 speech, Ted N.C. Wilson, the church's president, told his congregation that the devil is attempting to neutralize God's church in what the church believes are the closing hours of Earth's history. Praise the Lord. I'd like to see that on CNN. Don't you? And then it says here, uh, it's quoting Elder Wilson, stay away from anything that will undermine our message or cloud our distinctive beliefs. Don't be tempted by the devil to blend in with the crowd or to be politically correct, he said. Don't proclaim a generic Christianity or a cheap grace Christ, which does not point to the distinctive biblical truths to be declared worldwide. The very reason for which the Seventh Day Adventist Church was organized. Yeah. Wow! I tell you, that's a lot of free advertising. That's amazing. Here you got CNN, quote, you know, I'm just going to put this in there. The Rocks are crying out, quoting Ted Wilson, and saying that the distinctive biblical truths that God has given Seventh-day Adventists need to be proclaimed worldwide. I can say hallelujah to that. I really believe that. Now, Now, get ready for this. I'm going to push my button here and I'm going to show you what else is in this article. When I read this, it just uh, it floored me. It just floored me. Are you ready for this? Here we go. This article says, for Adventists, political ambivalence is built into their doctrine, which means that we, we tend not to be involved with, uh, with politics. And then it says, church theology teaches that in the end days the federal government will mandate Sunday church attendance, giving all who comply the mark of the beast. Wow. Now, you know, typically, uh, Eric knows this. All amazing facts evangelists know this. It is written evangelists, John Bradshaw, uh, all the major evangelists. We all know that typically you you lead the mind of a person step by step by step into further truths in the Bible. You don't open on opening night with the mark of the beast. Right? Have you ever done that, Eric? Open opening night on the mark of the beast? I, I never have. I never have. You know, we just we we don't we don't do that. We we get to know people first. We invite them to our meetings. We help them to learn about the signs of the times, about Jesus, about his love, about the gospel. We take them step by step, which is what we should be doing. We should be doing. Jesus followed a method when he was here on earth, which is is described in the book Ministry of Healing, page 43, that says he mingled with men as one who desired their good. He met their needs. He sympathized with them in their situations. He gained their confidence, and then he bade them follow me. Jesus worked with people step by step. But when he went down on the donkey into Jerusalem, the week before he died, he knew that it's time for a change. It's time to go public. It's time to put things right out in the open. Because he was about to die. And he wanted the attention of the world to look at what was about to happen. And I see a parallel between those days and these days. That there's going to come a time when, yes, we need to continue to to follow Christ's method and get to know people as much as we can and lead their minds as much as we can. But there's going to come a time when we need to get more vocal, when we need to speak out more clearly, because there are, there's going to be a time when prophecies are happening right in front of our eyes. And we need to open our mouths and speak. And if we don't, the rocks are going to cry out the rocks are going to cry out, and I just think it's extremely significant that in such a time as this, and there's a whole lot of things that are happening right now. There's things that are happening inside the church, things that are happening outside the church, things that are happening in the, with the Supreme Court, things that are happening in just so many, many, many areas. I am totally convinced that we are living in a time that is not business as usual. This is a different time. And that God is trying to direct the world to his message, to his distinct message as revealed in the Bible and has, which has been given to Seventh day Adventists. I believe that. Now go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13 verse 16 tells us that there is going to come a time Actually, let's uh, let's go back to chapter fourteen. There's going to come a time when a message is to be given with a loud voice, a louder voice than in the past. Elder Wilson talked about those distinctive beliefs of Seventh-day Adventists that need to go out worldwide. And I, I just I appreciate Elder Wilson. I thank God that the Lord has worked through our General Conference in San Antonio. And our delegates around the world to place, again, Elder Wilson as the president of our Seventh-day Adventist church. I strongly see the hand of God in that second term of Elder Wilson. Now, he mentioned the distinctive beliefs of Seventh-day Adventists. Distinctive beliefs. Here on the screen are three angels. Revelation 14, verses 9 to 12 represent God's last message to the world. One last call. The Bible says a third angel followed them, saying with what kind of a voice? A loud voice. Have we read that before tonight? loud voice? We read that about the disciples going into Jerusalem when the prophecies were being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. They called out with a loud voice. And the Pharisees said, be quiet. And Jesus said, they can't be quiet. If they were quiet, the rocks would cry out. It's time to speak. The third angel is going to follow them, says, follow them with a loud voice. If any man worships the beast and his image and receives his mark, the same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, we've been giving this message for over 150 years. I think uh, somebody calculated recently, and it was, it's uh, 171 years since our, our movement went through the disappointment and has continued to grow and grow and grow, spreading the three angels' messages. But I believe there's going to come a time when the third angel's message is going to speak very, very loudly. And it's going to be a specific call about the beast and about the image and about the mark and about the wrath of God and about the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, which we'll be studying about more tomorrow. We're going to really unpack this and go into details. Now, it's also significant that right at the end of the third angel's message, right after the third angel's message closes in verses 14 to 16, And notice this when the third angel's message finishes, then Jesus Christ will return for earth's final harvest. Revelation 14, verses 14 to 16. And that impresses me that before he comes, the message must go out with a loud voice, especially during the time of the mark of the beast. That's what I see here. In this text, and, and like I said, I know that we've been giving this message uh, for a long time, but my conviction is that it's going to get louder and louder and louder as we get into the final crisis. Now, if uh, if uh, and so, these are the distinctive truths that Elder Wilson referred to, which are right in the Bible. We didn't make these truths up; they're right there. You've got the third angel, verses nine to twelve, and then you've got Jesus coming in verses. 14 to 16, the third angel specifically talks about the beast, the image, and the mark of the beast. And verse 12 is the antidote to getting the mark of the beast, which has to do with people keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, let me show you some news reports within the last few years. And some of them are very, very, very current. So, take a look at this. Sunday laws. Is such a... Uh, is, such, is this possible, as the Bible tells us, the mark of the beast is going to be enforced, and as CNN says, Seventh-day Adventists apply this to Sunday. Is this possible that laws could ever be passed in this, this world, this modern world, enforcing the keeping of Sunday? All right, here we go. Time magazine the article was called on the seventh day we rested and the article is not really about the seventh day it's about sunday and i it's too dark up there to read so i'll read it on my computer it says uh the sense that sunday is still is still wired in us i'm sorry it, it first it talks about sunday laws during the time of the of colonial America. It says, Once upon a time in the dominion in the Dominion of New Haven, it was illegal to kiss your children on Sunday. Or make a bed or cut your hair or eat mince pies or cross a river unless you were a clergyman riding your circuit. If you lived in Connecticut in 1650, there was no mistaking Sunday for just another shopping day. Regardless of whether you'd go to hell for breaking the Sabbath, you could certainly go to jail. In other words, there were strong Sunday laws in the, in the colonies, in early colonial America. Centuries later, it says the sense that Sunday is still, is special, is still wired in us. A miniature sabbatical during which to peel off the rest of the week and savor, savor ritual, religious, or otherwise. Sunday worship, Sunday football, Sunday papers, Sunday brunch. The day you call your mother, the night your family gathers around the TV to watch, Once Upon a Time, The Wonderful World of Disney, and now The Simpsons. The idea that rest is a right has deep roots in our history. Blue laws were a gift as much as a duty, a command to reflect, to relax and reflect. So this article, On the Seventh Day We Rested, is referring to Sunday and how a long time ago people kept Sunday a lot more strictly than they do today. And this article is basically promoting Sunday as a day of rest and relaxation. That was Time Magazine. This is Fox News. The title of the article is called Let's Make Sunday a Day of Rest for God's Sake. ABC News. German court enforces Day of Rest. Have you heard about Sunday legislation in Germany? Now, some people say those are just secular laws. They don't really have anything to do with religion. Uh, I, I disagree with that. It's not true. There is a strong religious element in Germany's Sunday laws. Here, the article right down here says this. It says, Germany's constitutional court has now upheld a complaint made by the country's Catholic and Protestant churches. Catholics and Protestants working together based on a clause in the German Constitution that Sunday should be a day of rest and spiritual elevation. So Germany's Constitutional Court decided to close the doors of stores on Sunday because the Catholic Church and Protestants came together and pressured the court to enforce Sunday. So is that just a secular enforcement, or is that religiously motivated religiously motivated, so that's ABC, ABC News. Here's CNN, and this came out, this article came out March 27, 2015. Senator, the title there is Senator, says church attendance should be mandatory. There you can see Sylvia Allen, Senator Sylvia Allen, and here's what the article said. CNN affiliate KTVK reported that during a gun bill debate, Arizona State Senator Sylvia Allen asked, how we get back to a moral rebirth in this country, I don't know. Since we are slowly eroding religion at every opportunity that we have, probably we should be debating a bill requiring every American to attend a church of their choice, interesting language, on Sunday. Now, how's that for religious freedom? They're basically saying, let's have a law, or she's saying we should be debating a bill that requires people to go to church on Sunday, but they can go to whatever church they choose to go to. So there's freedom of choice when Sunday's enforced by law. That's That's a rather twisted version of religious freedom. True religious freedom gives people the right to go to church or not to go to church, right? They have the option if they want to go, or if they don't. But anyway, uh, this is CNN, March of this year. Here's another one. Keeping stores open on Sunday is not beneficial for society, says Pope Francis. And this came out about a year ago, July 6, 2014. And it says here, Pope Francis says, opening businesses on Sundays is not beneficial for society because the priority should be Not economic, but human. And that the stress should be on families and friendships, not commercial relationships. Now, I certainly agree that the stress should be on families and friendships, not commercial relationships. But I don't agree with uh, the Pope's statement that closing the doors of stores on Sunday is uh, beneficial for society. And keeping them open is not beneficial society. Now this article appeared a year ago in the Associated Press. So we've got Time Magazine, we've got ABC News, we've got CBS, we've got Associated Press, we've got CNN discussing the Sabbath in the news. What's going on? What's happening? Here is a picture of Pope Francis's encyclical that came out June 18, 2015 and this was a very this is a milestone of uh, papal communication and it's dealing with with the environment things like climate change it's called praised be you praised be you and when you read the encyclical which i've read quite a bit of it he offers all kinds of suggestions to help with the problems of the world the problems of humanity how we need to come together Uh, To strengthen families, we need to strengthen spirituality, we need to stop exploiting the earth, we we need to stop being so selfish, and right in the middle of his encyclical is this statement, section 237, where Francis said that Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, is meant to be a day which heals our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the world calls it the Jewish Sabbath, which really isn't correct. The, uh, the seventh day is really not the Jewish Sabbath. It's God's Sabbath. And it's interesting that he quotes the fourth commandment in his encyclical. He quotes Genesis. He almost gives a pretty effective Bible study about Old Testament days and how God commanded Israel to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. But then he shifts to Sunday, and says that that is is a day which heals our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the world. Now now keep this in mind. This is right in his encyclical, released by Vatican uh, PR, translated in languages around the world, being read by scientists and by people of many, many, many different religious faiths, and legislators, congressmen, I mean, this is a major milestone, and it was not just addressed to Catholics. Most encyclicals, and the word encyclical means circulating letter, most encyclicals are specifically addressed to the Catholic community, but not this one. This one, he says, I want to dialogue with the people, all the peoples of the world. This is for more than just Catholics. Here's another article that came out in The Guardian, and the title is called Slow Sunday, The Simple Solution to Global Warming. The subtitle there says, using Sunday as a day of rest and renewal would be good for our personal health as well as the health of the planet. So in other words, the idea is if everybody stopped working on Sunday, uh, if we closed businesses on Sundays, stopped industry on Sunday, there'd be a lot less carbon emissions that would go up that would affect the, the, uh, the atmosphere and the ozone layer, and this would positively affect climate change, which they're linking to disasters, that increasing disasters are happening on the earth because the climate is changing because of man's abuse of the earth. And the idea is if we just all come together and keep one day a week, a day of rest, this is going to uh, be a simple solution to global warming and to help counteract climate change. Here's another article. This is the Waco Tribune Central Texas's News All Day it says. And this came out October 3rd, 2015. So this is uh, how long ago is that? It's about 2 weeks ago. How many weeks ago? 2 weeks ago. And the title is called Religion, The Importance of the Sabbath to All of Us. Now, what Sabbath is this article talking about? It says here that we are increasingly depressed and suicidal. That's true. As Americans, uh, America is in trouble. We have turned to alcohol and drugs in a desperate effort to cope. We know deep down that something isn't working. There must be a better way. Most people recognize that the Ten Commandments are the foundation to human, are foundational to human conduct and life. But somewhere along the way, we have reduced the Ten Commandments to nine. We have eliminated the Fourth Commandment as irrelevant and archaic. Kind of sounds like an, an Adventist evangelist, doesn't it? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, quoting the Fourth Commandment. But now look at this. Fifty years ago, businesses were closed on what day? Sundays. And sporting events recognized Sunday as a day for worship. All that has changed. Today, our calendars are filled up to a 24-7 frenzy. When Jesus said that man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man, he affirmed the need for the Sabbath in our lives. He underscored the importance of the Sabbath to all of us for mental emotional, spiritual, and physical health. Now this is the Waco Tribune, an article about how we all need to be keeping the Sabbath, quoting the fourth commandment, quoting Jesus, and yet referring not to the seventh day, but to the first day of the week. Are you putting these pieces together? And that was just a few days ago. Here's an article from the website of the Salvation Army. Have you heard of the Salvation Army? A lot of influence the Salvation Army has. And this particular article is dealing with climate change, a call for climate justice. Climate justice. Release 7. And then it quotes a couple of verses in the Bible. Now, this was in the article. Keeping the Sabbath. It could be the most radical thing a church can do for environmental stewardship to commit to keeping the Sabbath. The scriptures make constant reference to rest and care for the land as well as for the for people on the Sabbath. Spending time with family and friends and employing the fr- enjoying the free outdoors is an act of resistance to the pressures of materialism and consumerism. So again, they're saying that if we want to deal with climate change, the problems of the planet, help heal the planet, this is basically following the cue of the Pope's encyclical saying, well, we really need to start keeping the Sabbath. But what Sabbath are they talking about? That's right, they're talking about Sunday, not the seventh day Sabbath. It's interesting to me that the voices for keeping Sunday are getting louder and louder, and louder. And they're even quoting the Bible to do it. They're even quoting the Fourth Commandment. That's what's happening. Here's another article. Excuse me while I tie my shoe. You can take a look at that on the screen. It's an article from the Lord's Day Alliance, which is an organization in America, the Lord's Day Alliance of the United States. The, t- the uh, date is April 28, 2015, so this was just a few months ago. And the Lord's Day Alliance is, is dedicated toward educating the public about the importance of keeping Sunday. And they certainly are in favor of uh, Sunday closing laws. And the title of the article there is Sunday as a Mark, a Mark of Christian Unity. Wow. Here is a screen capture of a portion of of the website of the United Nations. Now, if you recall, and I'll talk more about this tomorrow, that when Pope Francis was here in America, he spoke to Congress. He spoke to the United Nations General Assembly in New York, and he spoke in Philadelphia to a vast gathering of the World Meeting of Families. The United Nations is having a major conference that's coming up in December to deal with climate change. And if you go on to Wikipedia, you can read about it. It's not a secret. You don't have to go to dark literature to find out this information. Uh, Here, you can just put into Wikipedia, 2015 United Nations Climate Change Conference. And because it's so dark here, I'll read it on my computer. It says, according to the organizing committee, the objective of the 2015 conference which will take place from November 30 to December 11 in just a few months. Their objective for the first time in over 20 years of United Nations negotiations is to develop a binding and universal agreement on climate for all the nations of the earth. That's their stated objective for their next big conference to deal with the Pope's encyclical, to deal with all the issues of climate change, and to try to, to pass laws that will solve this climate change issue. And the United Nations has adopted the papal encyclical on climate change. They're right behind it. They're right behind it. So can you see all the writing on the wall? Now, does that mean that we're going to have Sunday laws by December? To be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you that we won't. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to tell you that we will. I don't know. But I do know that all the pieces are coming together. I know that. To me, it's very, very clear. This is not a normal time that we're living in. This is not business as usual. It's, It's like the ministry of Jesus. We are, we are not, we're not living during the three and a half years of his ministry. We are living in the closing scenes. We're living in the final times. Just like Jesus mounted the donkey and rode into Jerusalem. That's the time that we're living in right now. And there's a whole lot of other pieces of of evidence for this than I have time to share with you tonight. It is very clear to me that the pieces are coming together rapidly and that Bible prophecy is being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. Now, what is the real issue? What is the big issue? Because we've got to be clear on this. God is calling us as a people to give the third angel's message with a loud voice. And I tell you, as the world, as the agitation that's going on in the world continues to increase, and I don't think we're, you know, we're not quite there yet. We're not at the cross, but we're going down the mountain into Jerusalem, if you follow my line of thinking. We're not, we're not in Gethsemane, although actually I have a whole sermon on Gethsemane that talks about the disciples who were sleeping while Jesus was praying. And because Jesus was praying and the disciples were sleeping, when the mob came, those who were sleeping ran away. Whereas Jesus, who had been praying, he was ready to meet the storm. And there's a real message for us in that. We're we're, we're at the time where he's going down into Jerusalem. And we're in the time of prayer, the garden time. And what we're doing now in preparing and preparation for the storm is going to make all the difference in the world when the crisis hits. When the storm hits, if we're sleeping, we're going out. We're going to run away, just like the disciples did. But if we are praying and watching and discerning the signs of the times, we will be prepared to meet the storm when it hits. And I tell you, it's going to hit, and it's going to be relentless in its fury. The bad news is there's a terrible crisis coming. The good news is that Jesus is going to be with us in the crisis if we're on his side. And he's going to bring us through. Hallelujah. And think about this. You know, we we talk a lot about the coming of Jesus. And I totally believe in that, that Jesus is coming. But realize this, that before he comes, we have to go through that crisis. The crisis is coming before he comes. And if we're going to be ready for his coming, we have to be ready to meet the storm and to stand up for the third angel. Now, uh, quickly, let me just uh, wrap this up. What is the real issue? The real issue is not primarily one day versus another day, although that is a huge issue. But there's a deeper spiritual issue underneath that. It's not just, okay, I'll stop keeping one day and I'll start keeping another day. There's a deeper issue than that. Exodus 20 verse 10 says the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. And I've got my commandments here and I'll show you these tomorrow. And I've got stone tablets here. And you know, it just makes so much sense to me that as we get into the final crisis, that the issue that the world is going to face is what God wrote with his own finger on two tables of stone. To me, that makes so much sense. There's so much confusion in the world today about this issue, that issue, this wind, that wind. Even in our own church, there's different winds that are blowing. But God wants us to realize that the big issue that the world is going to face is right here. It's what he wrote with his own finger on stone. And the Bible says that the seventh day is the Sabbath of who? Of the Lord. That's the fourth commandment right there, Exodus chapter 20, verse 10. Now notice, seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. Who is the Lord? Matthew 12, verse 8, Jesus said, the Son of Man is Lord, even of what day? Of the Sabbath day. That's right. We're also told that we need to go out and give the Sabbath, proclaim the Sabbath more fully. It's It's not just the right day. It is the right day, but it's not just the right day. It is the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his holy day. When he said, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I'm God. I'm the maker of all life. I made the trees. I made the sky. I made the sun, the moon, and the stars. I made the grass. I made the animals. I made the fish and the birds. Jesus made you, and me. When you look in the mirror, you are looking at the miraculous creation of Jesus Christ. Wow! Isn't that amazing? Now, not only is he the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, Luke twenty-three, fifty-six tells us. This is a great text to help people to see that the Sabbath occur is, is still intact after the cross. Luke 2356 says that after Jesus died on the cross, the disciples rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. In other words, the commandment was still there after Jesus died. Powerful text isn't it? I'm sure Eric he used that text. It's a it's right there in the Bible. Some people say when Jesus died they got rid of the Sabbath. No. The Bible says that the disciples after he died they were still keeping the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now look at this. Turn to Matthew chapter 24. Just got will take a little bit more time and then we'll finish up. Can you handle a little bit more information? Yes, I hope so. Look at this. I, I've recently been really pondering this. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 goes back and forth between the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the world. Jesus bounces back and forth between what happened a long time ago and what's going to happen at the end. (laughs) And in Matthew 24, he tells his disciples to pray that their final flight out of Jerusalem may not be in the winter or on what day? On the Sabbath, right. And we, we generally connect that to what happened when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Roman armies. And that's true. But that's not the only application. The very next verse says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So Jesus puts the Sabbath right there, right before the great tribulation. See that? The Bible reveals, and Jesus himself reveals, that the Sabbath is a huge issue at the very end of time. And we're seeing that. We're seeing the agitation growing right in front of our eyes. Now, now, don't miss this, because this is really one of the most important things that I'm going to tell you. One of the most important things that I'm going to tell you is this, that the Sabbath, pointing to Jesus as the creator of heaven and earth, helps us to understand the identity of the one God who died on the cross. When you put the pieces together, the finger that wrote the law, that wrote the Sabbath commandment and all the commandments, that finger was on a hand that was nailed to a cross. The Sabbath reveals that Jesus is our creator and it helps us to understand the identity of the one who sacrificed himself on Calvary it wasn't just a man who died on a cross it was it was god in human form who was taking the sin of the whole world into his mind and into his heart and paying the price or human rebellion, human sin, human pride, and all the wickedness of this world. It all went inside of Jesus. And I really believe that there is going to be a message with a loud voice that's going to get louder and louder and louder as the Sunday agitation gets louder in the major news networks. And as the rocks are crying out and telling the public what the issues are, there's going to be a loud voice on the one side, and there's going to be a loud voice on the other side. And those loud voices are going to clash. They're going to meet in the middle, and it's going to be a fierce conflict at the close. That's where we're heading. And right in the middle of all this is going to be a message with a loud voice that it is our creator who hung on a cross for the sins of the world. And our appeal to the world is going to be, are you going to be on the side of Jesus, your creator, or or on the side of the beast? And are you gonna go along with the mark? I'm convinced that the ultimate issue is a love issue. And it's not marshmallow love, it's real love. It's not like, you know, I love my dog or I love chocolate or I love, uh, yeah. you know, I love my teddy bear like my little daughter does. <laughs> you have two girls, right? Boy and a girl. Boy and a girl, that's what I have, a boy and a girl. And, you know, kids love things and we love things. But the real issue is do we love Jesus enough to stand up for him and do what's right no matter what. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Some people say, oh, you're just a legalism issue. You know, you you Adventists are so legalistic, you're trying to get people to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. Well, it's amazing, you've got all the news networks now talking about how we should be keeping Sunday and quoting the fourth commandment. But they don't consider that legalism, do they? They think, well, that's gonna help us heal the planet. We can heal the planet. We can help uh, counteract climate change if we all come together and start keeping Sunday. That's where we're heading. It's not just a move from the religious right, like we used to think. It's It's the whole planet coming together with a plan to come back to Sunday for the benefit of everybody. And there's going to be a little group in the middle of this crying out with a loud voice and saying something's wrong with this picture. Something's wrong with this picture, and we've got to get ready to be part of that voice. I've got two more slides, this one and the next one. Look at this. And then I've got one more slide. I'm down at the end. I've done a lot of study on this topic, a lot of contemplation on this. I've meditated on this. I've prayed about it. I've read my Bible. And I have come to the conclusion that the mark of the beast is a final test for the world. And that Sunday legislation, during the final time, which is going to look so good, so many people are going to be behind it, thinking, wow, this is the answer to our problems, that Sunday laws, when they finally are enforced all around the world, if these laws are received, especially after light has come and we see the issues, Sunday laws received represent a mark of commandment breaking permanently stamped upon the soul. It's not just an issue of what day we go to church on. It's an issue of are we fully surrendered to our creator, to Jesus, who gave his life on the cross for us, and that we want to totally be on his side and obey our king because we love him And we want to be commandment keepers in every area of our lives. And those who say, I'm going along with Sunday, at the end are ultimately saying they are settling in to commandment breaking. And it's a mark of commandment breaking that is seared into the soul. That's the deep spiritual issue. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, we cannot live lives of commandment breaking now and expect during the crisis all of a sudden to shift into commandment keeping. It just doesn't happen that way. Now is the time for us to be preparing and to settle in, to settle in so we cannot be moved. That because we love the Lord, we are commandment keepers We want to keep all ten. That's the issue. And the Mark of the Beast crisis simply crystallizes the whole world into two groups. Commandment breakers or commandment keepers. Because we love Jesus. Got it? That is the issue. Actually, I want to go back to that slide. Before I go to my last slide. My wife is a substitute teacher at a local Christian school, about nine minutes from her house. She told me a week and a half ago that she was substituting for a math class. And amazingly, she said, they all there were seven students in the class, and they all took the test, and they all failed. Every one of them. But my wife is a good substitute teacher. And uh, she worked with the, with the other teacher that was not there. And uh, they gave the class another chance. And they had another opportunity to restudy and to retake the test. So when they retook the test, about half of them passed and half of them failed. And I thought, there's a good lesson for us in that. You know, when, God has given us a chance, even though we failed a lot of times. We failed a lot of tests, haven't we? I've failed a lot of tests. We've all failed a lot of tests. But thank God, he gives us another chance. He gives us many chances. He's given us a lot of chances. But one of these days, there's going to be a final test. And what we do, when that test comes, there's no more chances. That's it. It's either pass or fail. There's no no other chances. So one more thing I want to share with you. How many of you heard about the uh, killing of nine college students in Roseburg, Oregon, at a community college recently? The man's name—I've got it down here—was Christopher Harper Mercer. A college student himself, he killed nine and he injured nine others. I don't know if you heard this or not, but as he was doing his uh, his horrific work, he asked the students, one by one, stand up, state your religion. Did you hear that? Stand up, state your religion. What religion are you? And if they said, I'm a Christian, they were shot and killed. And one of them who died was a Seventh-day Adventist. She stood up, she was counted, and she lost her life. Now, I don't think we're all going to lose our lives. I think uh, God's either going to miraculously deliver us or some of us will lose our lives. But whatever the case, I do know that the test is coming, and it's going to be a public test. It's going to be on CNN, Fox News, ABC. CBS, The Guardian, Associated Press. This is where we're heading. We're heading to a big test. And when that time comes, we have to stand up and we have to be counted. Some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. My conviction is that it is time for us to come out of the closet, if you know what I mean, and to become open, public, visible, Seventh-day Adventists. And to be more bold in giving our message And we need to help people to understand that in this time in which we live, where the mark of the beast is uh, pending, that the ultimate issue is Jesus as our creator who gave his life for us on the cross. That's what it's all about. So let's pray, shall we? Let's pray that the Lord will help us to get ready to realize the signs of the times. And as a people that we will get ready for what is soon to come upon the earth. Dear Father in heaven, Father, we know you love us. You have a, a tender regard for your people. You are a God of compassion, a God of mercy, a God of kindness, a God of truth. And you know the forces that are at work behind the scenes, Lord, they're quoting, they're quoting your law and they're using it uh, in the wrong way. And you know where this world is heading. Satan is trying to get the whole world on the side of commandment breaking, including us. And Lord, we pray, please, get us ready for this crisis. Help us to be more bold in giving your message. Help us to reveal Jesus and his tender love and his truth in these last days. Lord, bless us, bless this weekend. Thank you so much for showing us in advance the words of the prophecy of this book that the time is at hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast with Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel message with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting broadcasts just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com, or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at WhiteHorse7, or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to WhiteHorseMedia Media. P.O. Box 1139, Newport, Washington, 99156. Thanks for your support, and may God bless your day.